all my friends. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Life Over Coffee. I am Rick Thomas, and I'm so glad that you are here. I was recently listening to a podcast from Dennis Prager. Dennis Prager is a Jewish gentleman who lives in California, who's been putting out a lot of content for a very long time. In fact, if you're not familiar with Prager University, the five-minute videos that they put out, they have millions upon millions of watches, and they are truly making a dent in our upside-down, turned-upside-down world. And I do enjoy uh, a lot of the things that he puts out and have benefited from them. I do listen to his podcast, his Fireside Fireside Chat podcast that drops uh, every Thursday, and uh, I appreciate his wisdom. also enjoy listening to people who are outside of my circle who make sense, and he makes a lot of sense, and I do appreciate uh, the things that he says. And so I was listening to his podcast, and someone asked him, Uh, What would he do differently if he went back to his 20s, if he had a do-over? And the question just struck me. It just struck me, and so I just stopped, and I have been reflecting on it for a a couple of days because I thought it was an interesting question. And so I wanted to do a podcast about that very subject. If I were to go back to my 20s, what would be a few things that I would do differently. What were some things? What are some things that I know now that I didn't know then? Now I have written an article called "20 Things I Would Tell My 20 Year Old Self." I have a short video also, and it's embedded in these show notes, by the way, both the article and the video. I'm not recreating that. I'm coming at this from a another perspective. But I was so struck by the question that uh, once I start lingering on something and I put it in the muse chamber for a while, then I really want to work it out. And so I want to work it out in this episode, and I trust it will be beneficial for you. This will be a little more personal. A lot of my stuff's personal, but I just want to share some personal things that I did when I was younger, things that I'd wish I had done when I was younger, and hopefully you will benefit from it. I do have some excellent articles here inside of these show notes. One of them that I mentioned was 20 things I would tell my 20-year-old self. I would encourage you to read that. I think it would benefit you, especially, I mean, well, all of us, but those of you who are in your 20s, you're just striking out in life and you're getting ready to start, you're getting ready to blaze your own trail, your unique trail as you leave home, family, and you begin to build a life for yourself. It will definitely benefit you. For those of you who are older, when you look in the rearview mirror, I know that's problematic for some of you, and so I, I want to help you to guard against guilt and and regret. And I have a couple of articles here that maybe if you struggle with regret, if you have a hard time looking in the rearview mirror, if you're not a good sovereigntist, and what I mean by a good sovereigntist is God is the scriptwriter of our stories. He's the primary cause. We are secondary cause. And so God is the author of our story in the primary way. And we must learn to trust the author of our story. And being a good sovereigntist means 
that God as our author and having authorship over our lives, that is the overarching theme of our lives. But some people aren't good sovereignists, and when they look into the rearview mirror, they see the things, and they can live in a lot of regret, or they can live in a lot of revenge. And so I have two articles here that talk about that, because I don't want you to go there. Uh, We should be able to learn from our mistakes. I mean, it's what Paul was teaching us in Ephesians 4, 22, put off the old person, that, that, that former manner of life. We have to have the ability and the maturity to be able to look backward to see what we were, how it shaped us into what we are, so that we can not just clearly identify those things, but we can also put them off. But again, I know some people have a hard time because, well, they can just be quite miserable when they look in that rearview mirror. And and if you if you are, well, then it compounds the problem. It not only will it be difficult to learn the lesson that you should learn, but you compound the problem by worry or anxiety or regret or or even revenge. And there's another article here titled Revenge When Evil Comes to You. And that is the article where I wrote about my sister-in-law murdering my brother. And I just wrote how God helped me to work through that so that I don't have those traces of revenge, evil uh, in my heart. And so you can read the article here on regret called Lingering Reminders of Our Fallen Humanity. You can read the one on revenge when evil comes to you. And then I have another one here, The Reason I Stopped Hating My Dad. That is another reflective look in the mirror. And I, I trust that when you look into look backward at the relationships that have had an adverse shaping influence on your life, that you're not hating those people. That's not the place where you you want to be. And so this exercise, these few things that I want to list to you, they are reflective but not punitive. And it's not a, a guilt-induced trip. And it's definitely not for me. And, and you're not going to hear that out of me because I'm just not there in my mind. My heart is not there when I look at the past. I'm, I'm over it as far as being, as far as punishing myself or responding adversely to it. And so this reflective talk is not punitive toward me in any way, and it's not guilt-induced. And I trust that you would be able to get to that spot if you're not there now where you can be content with your life. And I am definitely content with my life and absolutely ecstatic about what the Lord is doing in my life. It's one of the reasons that I work so hard. That's why I produce so much, because I find so much joy in doing this. I want to take the things that I have learned, and I I want to put them out there. I want them to benefit other people. That's why we've made this major, massive shift in 2020 to release all of our content and to bring it from outside from the other side of the paywall and just give it away and trust the Lord that people will uh, support our ministry because I, I want to help as many people as I, I possibly can. I have no desire to do anything else. And when people ask me, you know, when are you going to retire? I'm not going to retire. I have no desire whatsoever, I have no intention of ever retiring. If I retired, I would just do some version of what I'm doing now, so there's no point to even think about it. 
I may slow down. I trust the Lord will keep my hands working. Uh, I trust he'll keep my mind working as well so that I can do this until he until he takes me home. And so this is the passion that I have. And, and I started this ministry in 08. The, the reason that I started it is because I wanted to create an archive for my children because I had no idea how long I would live if I would see them in uh, their early adulthood and, and into middle age. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but I know that they would have questions as I had questions, and so I wanted to build an archive for them of, of thoughts that I have about all things pertaining to life and godliness, and that's why I the initial reason that I began building this website, and then things just took off, and it, it turned into something really different from what I I. I thought, I asked or thought, and I praise God for that, uh, and it just affirms that I need to keep pushing in this direction. And so what I want to do here is I, I, I want to take this reflective thought, and I trust that the things that I wish I had done or the things that I did do and wish I hadn't had done, uh, I hope that it will benefit you, because if you can't learn from your past— uh, you will lose. You, you will be the loser if you can't learn from your past. If you're always reacting to your past, if you're always adversely mapping your past over your experience or mapping it over other people because you're not free from it, then you are the loser. But not only are you the loser, but those who could benefit from Christ in you, they can't benefit from you because you're hung up over the things that had happened. And so I, I that is a warning that I want to guard you against any kind of guilt and regret and to be free to look in your past and say, yeah, I did that, or no, I didn't do that, and I wish I had, and then be able to make that shift. And and from this point forward, that you can have a different kind of life because you're making different decisions because you have learned from the past. This is episode 280. It is titled, A Few Things I Would Do If I... If I could go back. And one of those things is I would not have married out of need. I got married when I was 19 years old. I was not a Christian. I hit omniscience when I was also 19 years old, meaning I knew everything when I was 19. Some people hit omniscience a lot earlier than I did. I was a late bloomer, but I eventually knew everything. And by the time I was 19, you couldn't tell me anything. And I got married because I knew that I was supposed to get married. But what I couldn't see, uh, that I was an insecure uh, teenage boy looking for a companionship. And I see so many people getting married for that reason. And it is the empty love cup uh, syndrome uh, where they are filling a void, and they don't see it that way. They they, they see it as love. They, they they see it as, you know, this is companionship, and those things aren't bad. They really aren't. But if you start poking around at a deeper motive that they may not even be perceptive to is they're getting married out of a need because that person does something for me. That person gives me something. That person makes me feel a, a different, a certain way, a way that I like. And so if I could go back to 19 years of age and when I was thinking about getting married, I would not have gotten married out of out of need because I was a a deficit looking for somebody to bring a completeness or wholeness to me 
that is that's not the best motive to get married because you will always be dependent on that person of that person meeting certain criteria or expectations that you have for them and guess what they are not going to meet those expectations the way that you want them to be because no marriage partner can do that. And so if you marry out of need, in this case, for me, I married out of out of a deep insecurity. My dad was a, a horrible shaping influence, and it was like, uh, it, it, it was as a, if, if my body, if, if myself was a container, I was being depleted by the day, by the year, as I lived with my family, and then I I met someone, and I I felt good relationally, but I couldn't see that they were filling my love cup, and the feel-good that I felt was uh, became a, a craving, and honestly, it was an idol. And you can so rationalize those things, and you can justify those things that you don't see them. They're imperceptible. Because we can twist love in, in, into a romanticized view of love, and we can twist companionship and not see uh, that we're using that to make us feel better, and we latch onto it, and then, of course, we do what you're supposed to do is you get married, and then it just doesn't go well from that point forward. And so I wish I was more mature and I wasn't getting married from a deficit, but getting married because I was working from the overflow of my life. And so it wasn't what they could give to me, but what I could give to them. And of course, for those of you who are familiar with our ministry, I ended up uh, divorced 11 years later. And then I was single for, or I lived alone for nine years. And then I, I got married later in life, much later in life. And, uh, but when I got married the second time, uh, it wasn't so much about a deficit. It was, it was, I was more positioned. I was a Christian, uh, which I wasn't at 19. And I was more mature, not as mature as I should be, obviously. Uh, but I was more mature, and my motivation for marrying was really, it was radically different than when it was I was 19. And so if I could go back in time and rewind the clock, uh, I, I, would, uh, I would not get married, not, not at that age, uh, because I wasn't, I wasn't ready. And for those of you who are getting married, thinking about getting married, I I would just appeal to you. It's so hard to have this honest conversation. My appeal to you is to have an honest conversation uh, with someone. How do they see you? Now, this is a a sensitive, a very tender uh, conversation to have. It can be touchy. It it can set off some, it can can be very difficult, especially if you realize that you're getting married for the wrong reason and you're thinking about, well, maybe we shouldn't get married and you you call it off. Now that takes an incredible amount of courage and there's very few people who have that kind of courage and I'm not speaking to any of you as a a judge uh, because I didn't have that kind of courage either. Again, I was omniscient and so what could anybody tell me anyway? And so if I could go back to my 20s in this case when I was 19, I would not have gotten married out of need an insecure boy looking for companionship. The second thing I, I would, and this kind of flows out of the first thing, but this is a standalone, it's also a standalone uh, item here. I, I would have listened to the still small voice. 
not just then. I mean, I knew. I actually knew. It, it was ever so slightly perceptible to me that this wasn't right. I mean, I knew it wasn't right, but what I wanted, and it's, it's like the bird in the hand versus two in the bush. It's, it, I, I had one in the hand, and I didn't want to go through the process of trying to find another one, and so I just went on with it. But in my, in, in my still small voice, I I knew that it was not right. And here's the point that I want to make that, make about this, that if you know in your heart of hearts that something is not right, then you just need to stand down. You need to just push pause. You need to stop. James said it this way in 4.17. He said, whoever knows the right thing to do and, and fails to do it for that person, it is a sin. I've written a prayer out on our website uh, it's it's actually been well read. People have really benefited from it. It's a short prayer, just under 500 words, and it's about walking in the Spirit. It's about sensing the Spirit's illuminations. And if you sense, I mean, it's just your gut instinct. You believe that, that God is just turning a faint light on in your mind that you should or shouldn't do something. Now you're standing. This is the Christmas season, and you're you're getting ready to eat that cake or cupcake or cookie or or whatever, and you realize that you shouldn't do it, and you hear that still small voice, and you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. This is something that I wish I had done many times in my life. I'm not talking about just the first time I got married. I'm talking about repeatedly, like today and yesterday and last week and last year. I want to be more sensitive to the Spirit of God that when I just sense this low-level, faint echo of a voice that's saying, pull up, pull up, don't do that, I want to respond to it. And that's something that I, I wish I had known and wish I had done many times when I was when I was younger. And you say, well, you you're, you weren't a Christian like when you were 19, and so there's no spirit illumination, and you're right about that. But in Romans 2, it talks about the non-Christian, the Gentile, who doesn't have the Spirit of God, but yet his conscience bears him witness, either affirms him or, or denies him it. It tells us to move forward or or to stand down. And that's what our conscience, conscience in the Latin means co-knowledge. It's our inner voice. It's our internal moral thermostat. And God gives every human a conscience. And so you might not have the Spirit of God's illumination. You may be completely blind to the Word of God because it's a dark book, because you're not a believer, but you do have a conscience. We are moral beings, whether we are saved or lost. And so we have a sense of right and wrong. And you know that in your children. Your children have a sense of right and wrong, and even though they may not be Christians, but that's because God has given them a morality, an internal morality, a moral thermostat to do this or do that. And so whether you are a Christian or not, when you sense, and all of you have been in that place, all of you have had that where you were going to do something, you were going to make a decision, and there was this thing that was just saying, don't do that. That's what I'm talking about. And I wish that if I go back to my 20s, that each time that happened to me, that I would have been sensitive to it and just went right instead of left or left instead of right and not just 
plowed on in the thing that I wanted to do because I wanted to do it or I was afraid to say no or, you know, whatever the inhibiting cause is that motivated me to do the thing. Uh, that's one of the things that I wish I had learned a long time ago. And so one, I would not have gotten married out of need. Number two, I would have listened to the still small voice. Number three, I would take more risk. And I've talked about that recently. I wrote an article about it that's on our on our website. I also did a short video that's also on our website. It's on our YouTube channel as well. The top three things that really drive everything that I do. One of those is uh, to take more risk. Another one is to spend more time in reflection. I talk often about the muse chamber. I spend a lot of time reflecting. I mean, that's what my... That's what my mind does. Is it is a nonstop processor, and then I would do things that have more eternal value. Well, those three ideas were transformative to me when I first heard them a number of years ago. But the one that I'm calling out here is take more risk. I, I wish that if I go back to my twenties, uh, that I would have done that. That I that that I was just taking more risk, and some of that's tied to what I've been saying already. Like if you if you perceive God is is moving you in a certain direction, but yet you don't have the courage, you're afraid, you know, you care about what other people say or or how they think, their opinion of you and those types of things. Well, it will inhibit you from taking that risk, and there. I, I do wonder sometimes how life would have been if I would have just stepped out of the boat like Peter in Matthew 14 and walked on water. But taking risk is tied to fear, and fear many times is a lot stronger. I mean, imagine if you were dating someone and you were getting married and, and then you sensed in your heart of hearts that this was not the right thing to do. Well, that would be a huge risk, right? And so that's what I'm talking about. Now, of course, taking risk or not being impulsive at all. I mean, there's a way to make biblical decisions. And again, I've, I've written a lot about that. I've got an entire one-hour webinar on our website that you can watch on how to make a, a biblical decision. And so there's been a lot of resources developed through the years from our ministry on how to make decisions. So I'm not talking about being dumb I'm not talking about being impulsive, but I'm I'm talking about making sovereign, calculated risk that when you, you you've gone through the process and you know this is the thing to do, then you need you need to do it. And so uh, number three, I would take more risk. Number four, I would never have become a a fundamental Baptist, uh, a fundamentalist. Uh, and for those of you who don't know what that is, that's that's legalism. And I don't mean uh, I have no unkindness toward the fundamentalist university that I went to. I have no unkindness, ill will toward any of my professors, teachers, pastors, friends, family members, etc. None whatsoever. I have family members who are fundamentalists. I don't care. I, re I really don't. You know, God bless them. It's not about that. But I know for me, uh, it was it, there was just so much tragedy. Uh, that being part of that legalistic culture. And I've written a lot about that uh, as well. And, and that was one of the primary contributors to, you know, losing my marriage is living in that that fear-centered. Um, fundamentalism is a fear-centered culture. Everybody's just paranoid, uh, very insecure and about doing the wrong thing or doing the right thing. And there's so much. So it, it's such a judgment. I mean, 
It's like you live in something so long, you just adapt to it, and the fish is the last person in the world that knows that he's in water. Uh, you don't realize it, but then when you come out of it, you do realize of it. You realize it, and you realize the devastating effects of it. And uh, those who have come out of fundamentalism, um, they have such attitudes from Hades because they react so awfully to it. And I was in that place, by the way. Uh, you don't come out and, and become sane when you come out. No, you come out and you, you have a quirkiness and you have an attitude and you're really twisted up by it. And I, I if I had a do-over, I, I, I wish that I'd never been part of of fundamentalism is just a awkward, twisted uh, religion, and it's quite un unfortunate. And I'm speaking for myself, but the truth is, I'm speaking to uh, probably a couple thousand people that I've counseled over the past 25 years who have come out of it, and it really messed them up. It devastates families. It really does. And so that's number four. Um, number five, uh, I should not have held on to my victimness regarding my dad. I was very angry uh, for a long time in my young life regarding my dad, and I held on to my victimness. As you know, victim means vicarious, and so it doesn't matter if you do it or somebody does it to you. If you take on the role of a victim, you're vicariously carrying either your own sin or somebody else's. It, it doesn't matter in this context who does the sin, but if you keep carrying it, whether it's yours or someone else, that's what victim means. You're vicarious. And so my dad sinned grievously against me, and I carried that for a long time. And when you take on the role of a victim and you become vicarious and you carry the sin of another person and don't know how to get it off of you, it will affect you uh, internally. You'll become bitter and angry and fearful and insecure and cynical and regretful. And so many sins will collect around the victim's heart. And if I could go back uh, again, I would... I would not hold on to my victimness regarding my dad. I could not transact forgiveness with my dad because he died when I was 19 also, and neither one of us, or I wasn't a Christian. I don't think he was. Um, and so I couldn't transact forgiveness. You know, will you forgive me? And he said, I forgive you. you know, we couldn't transact that way and really work through reconciliation because he, he died and I wasn't a believer, so there was no transacting there. But I could have forgiven him earlier than I did, attitudinally. And when you forgive someone attitudinally, you're not forgiving them, but what you're doing uh, because they haven't asked for forgiveness, but you, you're you working out what happened to you with God where you become released from what they did to you. And so your attitude is a heart of forgiveness that you have toward them, which releases you, and that's how you overcome the victimist. That's how you're no longer a vicarious sufferer for what somebody did to you is by attitudinally forgiving forgiving them whether they ever ask you whether they ever ask you for forgiveness or not and so number 5 i wish i had not held on my victimness for as long as i did regarding my dad again there's an article here in these show notes it's titled the reason i stopped hating my dad and that was the that was the 
process of where I got to attitudinally forgiving him. And so things that I wish I had known, things that I wish I had done, etc. I have a list of six. Number one, I would not have married I would not have married out of need. Number two, I would listen to that still small voice. Number three, I would take more risk. Number four, never would have become a fundamental Baptist. Number five, I would not have held on to my victimness regarding my dad for as long as I did. And then finally number six, rather than reacting to my past, I should have fixed my sight on the perfect template, Christ. And that happens a lot uh, with many of us, is that we, we move forward while looking backward, reacting to what we see in the back. Uh, in the past. It's like somebody gets married. I want to marry somebody different from my dad, or I'll marry somebody different from my mom, or I'll marry somebody different from my family. I'm going to do it different from, and they are reacting, or, you know, my dad never gave me money, and so now I just spend money like crazy. You know, whatever that reaction is, it could be all sorts of things. It could be a million things, and and I, I see that, and I've seen it in my own life as well, that Rather than reacting to the past, and what I finally learned is that I can fix my sights on the perfect template, and the first perfect template is Christ. Uh, you're not reacting to your past, but you're you're folding yourself in to the perfect template, and you're becoming Christ-like. And I wished uh, that I had learned that a bit earlier as well. Uh, the past can have such a powerful shaping influence over us. This is episode 280. A few things I would do if I, I could go back. And please hear me. Hear me well. I'm not regretful at all. God has taken all of that nonsense and all the mistakes, and he's turned it into a redemptive ministry that truly is impacting lives. And so I am ecstatically, I am swimmingly content and happy. But that is just a brief reflection. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast you have been listening to life over coffee with rick thomas if you have a question for rick you can let him know by sending him a note through his website rickthomas.net that's rickthomas.net thanks for listening enjoy your coffee